You're listening to The Optical Entrepreneur, brought to you by Optical Success Academy and Seiko. Hotelier, Selena Horshey is the Managing Director of the White Horse Hotel in Derry in Northern Ireland. Her career started with an international sales position at the Sunday Times in London, Dubai and New York. She worked in marketing with The Economist, leading a small team and being responsible for tens of millions of pounds of revenue. And five years ago, Selena changed direction and used all that she's learned to take over the running of her family's business, the White Horse Hotel. This is Connor, and I'm delighted to introduce you to Selena. And this episode is full of insights and lessons from the hospitality industry that will help you grow your practice. So welcome, Selena. Thank you very much for joining us as our guest today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Connor. It's lovely to be here. So, so maybe if we set the scene a little bit to start with and, and just start with your background, I guess. Um, I think from looking at everything you've done, it's obvious you've got like a great entrepreneurial spirit. And, and I think there's lots of lessons from how you've approached business that will serve our audience of independent opticians and optometrists and practice owners um, in the UK and Europe and, and further afield in America as well. Um, so you obviously were from the same home city, home city of Derry, and we both came to England to university, but you ended up going to, to Cambridge where you studied English, I believe. Um, yeah. And, and your, but your first job was with the Sunday Times. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like and, and what did you learn um, from that experience? Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from university with a, an English degree, which isn't the most uh, practical degree that you can perhaps do. So it doesn't have an obvious outcome as to what you might want to do next. So I graduated and I sort of thought, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Um, and uh, I initially had come back to, to Derry, you know, just finished uni. Everything was packed up in the car, driven back home. And I was sitting here going, what am I going to do? And uh, there were a couple of options. There was the family business, which is in hospitality, the white horse, which I am now involved in, or there was the idea of going away. And at that stage for me, I wanted to go away. And I think that was important. I needed to go and have my own experiences to develop my own viewpoints and have my own thoughts. So actually, I got my job um, in a very old fashioned way. There was an advert in the Times looking for essentially for uh, people to do advertising sales. So very simple, straightforward position. And um, I applied, flew over for the interview and was lucky enough to get the job. So my very first job uh, was very much getting on the phone and selling things to people. Uh, I remember my first day I was asked, I was working actually with international clients and I was told to sort of start coin around reps that I'd be dealing with in different countries. And it was just to get me used to being on the phone, you know, building all that confidence and uh, that side of things. Uh, but of course, I completely forgot to take into account the, the time zone issue. So I'm making phone calls to uh, Australia because age 21, it just didn't occur to me that I was waking them up in the middle of the night um but that was that was fun but um so that job was uh was very was really straightforward the aim was to fill the newspaper with ads um but i wanted to look for opportunities as to how i could progress um a couple of different avenues came up because Times, Sunday Times, um, huge amount of, of staff, big offices, and there were loads of opportunities. Uh, so I had the opportunity to write some articles for the travel section, uh, discovered that uh, actually journalism is not for me. I didn't enjoy that that style of working and uh, didn't want to do that um, and ended up working in um, more of the international side on marketing. 
And I guess in a big corporation with thousands of employees, you have to be sort of entrepreneurial. You've got to find those opportunities that let you develop. And I was lucky to have a very supportive boss um, who allowed me to to sort of look for those opportunities in other departments. Um, and I was able to actually spend uh, six months in Dubai, where I set up the commercial operation of the Dubai edition of the Sunday Times uh, that was working really in a syndication role. And then to do the same thing in, in New York, spend some time over there. So I was able to find opportunities to do things that were a bit different. So the job initially looked very straightforward, but there were opportunities to develop into different things. Very good. Um, and I think, it, so for most of our audience are optometrists or opticians, they've gone to university and qualified with a, you know, a vocation. And I, I remember when I opened my practice, within the first days of opening it and serving the public, having this realization that I, I don't know anything about selling. How, how do you do that? Um, same thing for marketing or leading a team. But was there you know, how did you learn to do that? Were you just thrown into the deep end or did they provide training for you? Because I think that now you're running a small independent business. So having learned to sell is a is a key skill that we all need to figure out one way or another. How was it for you? Um, absolutely. It's a really important skill. And I'm so glad that I got that experience um, because it's so crucial to everything I have to do. And I think often we think of salespeople as having um, a real aggressiveness about them. And I don't believe it needs to be about that at all. And this is going to be true of your listeners who have really, really, really strong brands, really strong businesses. They're selling a good product. I was at the Times, the Sunday Times, I was selling a good product. I didn't need to be pushy. I didn't have to be hard hitting. I had to listen to what was required from my customer and respond. So it was, there was training involved. And a lot of that training was about the, the, the listening, about the responding. And also some of the most useful training I did was um, actually on things like conflict resolution. So how you speak to somebody who's not happy with the result, how you can de-escalate the, the situation quickly. So, um, and again, it was all about listening. It was if somebody calls and they have a complaint and it's going to be straightforward in my situation, it would have been that for some reason their ad needed to run on the 12th of November and it didn't appear and it was time sensitive and they're annoyed and they put a lot of money into it. And that's frustrating. You have to First of all, make sure that you make it really clear that you understand that it's frustrating, that it isn't always about excuses. There will have been a reason. Chances are someone somewhere in the chain made a mistake. We will find a resolution together and, and move forward. So that was really useful. Um, another thing that was incredibly useful was uh, incredibly intimidating at the time, especially um, when I was you know, 21, 22. They uh, got in uh, one of the, the guys who would have filmed in the uh, building, done some of the journalist interviews, etc. that would have gone onto the website. And they basically made me present um, to the camera so that I could watch back and see what ticks did I have, what body language was I portraying, and made me, force me to look at what I was doing and think about it. And it was hard to watch, you know, it's hard to watch yourself back, but it took away a lot of the fear of doing that public speaking role. It became quickly, for, um, for instance, apparent that if I'm talking to people in that situation in front of a large audience, I have a tendency, don't know what to do with my hands, so I put my hands on my hip, which makes me look like a school mom. You know, it's very, it, it puts across this position of somebody that's telling you what to do or telling you off but because I then learned that I did that I can stop it I don't do that anymore and and I just had opportunities like that to learn how to engage with people and I, th and I think a lot of 
you know, even body language comes back to that's an extension of how do you feel about selling. And for a lot of us, it's a negative feeling. If you haven't examined it, I, when I started in business, even though, you know, my, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, my father was had his own business. But if you ask me, is selling positive or negative, I would have said it's a negative thing. I hadn't really figured out how to feel about it. Um, and for me, it was through, I guess, through studying, reading books, biographies, going to seminars, starting to, you know, delve into the, what is selling really. And, and that's how I arrived at the, I guess, my mindset today, which is selling is serving. And if you have, like you said, if you have a, a product that is, is worthwhile, then it's a disservice if you're not, you know, putting it out there and letting people know about it. Um, and you, and you can't be timid. You're doing a disservice if you're timid. It's about serving other people. Um, so yeah, so it's, I, I think for a lot of professionals, that's an aspect of your career that can, if you, if you don't take the time to stop and think about it, it can, it can, uh, you know, it can be a, a stumbling block and the same for your team. If you're leading a small team, you then have to influence so they can feel good about, about what they do. So, so that must've been a great experience from there. You went on to a position at the economist, um, I was before we spoke. I was just doing a little bit of research, but the Economist, for our members that aren't uh, in the UK, so it's a British weekly newspaper, um, focused on current affairs, international business, politics, technology, all of those types of topics, and they have offices across the world. I checked, and their first issue was in the year eighteen forty-three. So they've been around around for a while. What was your experience like at the Economist? Um, same thing. Was there anything that you learned there that served you today in, in running a, a hotel? Absolutely. So the Economist is a really interesting one. It's actually a smaller office of people um, that I was in than I was at the Times and the Sunday Times. So you've got a couple of hundred people based in London. And because it's only a couple of hundred, you actually get to know all the people well and you get to to meet with journalists you get to meet with economists you get to meet with people from all different uh, walks of life and collaborate with them really very closely and you get to learn how different people work how different people communicate and they put a lot of effort into into this because they realize that they've got a very wide skill set that is required uh, to produce the the um, newspaper and those different types of people often communicate and choose to communicate in different ways. So they encouraged us to do training such as uh, the Myers-Briggs personality testing model to, to understand how you could best work with your colleagues. There was a real sense of putting an effort into becoming an organisation where people were understanding and got the best out of each other. And that, I think, is really important to then take into a small business um, in, in any context that people can have different skills, but a different communication style might mean that you don't necessarily realise that they have the best idea in the room because they are more timid or shyer or less confident putting an idea forward in a group and just learning how to get the best out of a team. Yeah, definitely. And did you... Uh, what were, was there any point at the Times um, or the Economist where you were leading a team or a small team? Yeah, 
was. So uh, I basically moved to The Economist to get to the point of managing people. So at the Times, I'd had a, a hint of it. So when I went and did things like uh, set up issues in different countries, I would have had a team there that I was hiring, putting into place a small team, just three or four people before I left. And then it was run as its own entity. Um, and so moving to The Economist was to to get to the situation where I had my own team full time. Um, so I ended up um, in my years there, I came to be uh, the sort of manager of UK uh, digital revenues. So that was revenue coming in from um, sales, from apps, from various products. So there was a, a branch called the Economist Intelligence Unit. So if you were a company or an organization that needed to understand trends, they could do specific research for you, very high quality. So it was working to provide solutions um, in that field to generate revenue for the business. So I'd say by the time I left there, I had a team of maybe eight people and uh, looking at uh, revenues of around between 14 and 18 million a year. Mm -hmm. Very good. Because that, again, is another skill that somehow we all have to figure out, which is how do you, how do you lead a, a team of people when you have all these interpersonal uh, things going on and different personalities and different strengths and you know that whole dynamic so it's um again it's an area that and it, it again it's one of the purposes of this podcast is speaking to people in business because really running a business is running a business you have to know how to get the best out of people and, and make them shine a little bit so so what was your reasoning because it might have been it must have been quite a big culture change leaving london and leaving companies like the times and uh, the economist to come back to to dairy um so what was you know what was uh that like and you know what was driving your decisions at that point so I guess there was a part of um, I married and my husband and I had both, although we weren't both from Derry, he was from Yorkshire originally, had grown up with that slightly more countryside way of life. And once we hit our 30s and uh, we sort of got bored of being in our little box around by everyone else's little boxes and some of the excitement of London, the, uh, the things like the going clubbing was no longer exciting. It was much more exciting to be in Derry where you're a 15 minute drive from the beach. Um, and so there was a sense of thinking about the place. Um, and there was also a desire to have an ownership um, of business, a desire to to really make our own way. So uh, for my husband, he, he was setting up his own business, uh, which is a hat brand. And um, I came back to sort of put my toe in the water um, in terms of starting to take over the, the family business. So to be the second generation in the hotel. Um, and that was done slowly, bit by bit, because uh, I didn't have hospitality work experience. Um, really, I'd, I'd worked in bars and restaurants and, you know, those sort of things as, as casual employment throughout the years. But I'd never done this full time and I also had never worked with uh with my father so you've got to check is this going to work um are we going to kill each other and and luckily we didn't but it took a lot of it, it took effort on both our behalves to uh I had to recognize that just because I had a new idea didn't mean it would work that I had to respect the experience and I think he had to to recognize that he had to let go of a certain amount of control even if he was uh, nervous about doing so yeah. so there was there was work to be done um but uh, it was really for that that benefit of having your own business which I guess is uh is so key in many of your listeners lives yeah, yeah and I, I want to dive into the family uh aspect in a, in a moment but before we do that just I guess one of the great things you can get from working for a big corporation is the ability to grow and learn and be exposed to things that you don't know. 
Um, is there any way that you particularly continue to learn or continue to improve yourself and so that you can keep getting better now when it's just you? Um, I mean, do you listen to podcasts or read books or is there anything particularly you pay attention to to kind of stay on your toes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a number of different things. Uh, I guess COVID was a good example of where there was time to do that. Um, you know, at that time, hospitality was closed. Um, and during that closure, we really had to think about how we were going to enhance ourselves to reopen and also how we were just going to modify ourselves to survive. Um, and at that point in time, you know, when everything was closing down and I was maybe sitting here in an empty hotel and I suddenly realised that in our big lobby, the clock on the wall actually does tick. I never knew it ticked until there was no one else in the building. And that tick became sort of the, the background to my noise, uh, to my days. And it was um, feeling like a, a bit of a ghost in terms of haunting it. And, and I went in that situation from learning the hotel business to learn having to work out how do you rethink hospitality in this COVID era um, and inspiration came from all sorts of different places like uh, at the time if you remember the news was breaking mainly from uh, uh, you know from Asia from China before we even locked down over here and at that same time actually TikTok was really taken off um, in this country as, a, as a, a social media but it was already established in Asia so by doing keyword searches for restaurants and things and looking at the content that was coming from Hong Kong from China we were seeing how they were coping with this pandemic before it even really reached our shores so we were already getting this sense of this idea of the use of screens the use of social distancing how that might look um, so you might not think TikTok's going to be business inspiration but it certainly was able to show us things that we weren't able to see here and things I wouldn't have been able to ordinarily Google because of, um, you know, just language barriers and my lack of knowledge of Mandarin. So uh, it was interesting. Um, and then I did a lot of listening to webinars um, because I was looking for thinking about inspiration from other industries, um, which is exactly what you do here, but something I think people don't always do you know you can feel very alone in your business and not realize the lessons that can come from elsewhere um I remember one particular webinar I listened to I think it was uh, the local chamber of commerce and there was a gentleman on there who owns an agricultural manufacturing firm and uh, his company had been operational throughout the lockdowns because they were doing essential work so he had already faced and overcome problems I hadn't even foreseen yet because we've been closed I remember him talking about uh, doing his risk assessment and identifying the multi-touch point as being that uh, clock-in system on arrival and having to to touch this uh, this screen and everyone was touching it so he just uh, when he got every member of staff a stylist and uh, get, got it engraved for them and that was theirs and that's what they used to touch the screen that eliminated a risk we were able to do things like that in a hotel. So every guest on check-in got a letter with our uh, procedures when we reopened. They got their own pen so they could sign for all their uh, drinks or bills or anything going to their rooms without having to use someone else's pen. It had a stylus on the other end. The staff all had them so they could use it on the tills for putting in drinks orders. Um, so it took a really practical solution from a completely different industry. Um, and then I guess the other place that I get a lot of inspiration from is uh, is from the team itself. So uh, we have just under 50 employees at the uh, Whitehorse and um, they've, you've just got such a mix. You know, you've got the staff who've been here for the full 30 years. It's been under this family ownership to staff who have been here for a much shorter amount of time and come from different backgrounds. Um, and 
I remember sitting uh, after the first lockdown and they said, okay, as a hotel, if you'd like, you can reopen, but only to business guests for accommodation. You can feed those guests that are staying for accommodation. You can't serve them alcohol. And you can't have anybody come in who's not a resident. And you have to verify that anyone who's a resident is a key worker. They have to be essential to the ongoing economy. Um, and uh, so they, they could be builders. For example, there was a local company here who got a big contract to make pallets to uh, transport the vaccines on. So those they had to hire extra staff who were coming from all across the country. They lived with us. They made the pallets. They classified as someone who could stay in a hotel. Um, if you looked at it through the goggles of a spreadsheet, so the first thing I did, shall we reopen spreadsheet? How many people could we expect to have? How much money can we expect to make? How much will it cost to run the business? Then you come out with an, a loss. There is no reason on a spreadsheet why you would open under those terms as a hotel when you could stay closed. And that would cost you money still, but it would cost you less money than being open. But um there were things I hadn't taken into account. Our maintenance manager said to me, Selena, you're mad. If a tile comes off the roof and we get a leak, then it's easy fixed if we know about it. But if it's sitting there for months, then it can become a big problem. Uh, the machinery we use in the hotel, things like um, dishwashers, they have to operate in order to, to continue working. They can, they can fail. Um, and there was just this idea that there could be a long-term cost. And there was also health issues as well. Things like Legionnaire's disease come from unrun water. So uh, if we were just shutting the hotel, then we've got all this stagnant water sitting in our pipes. Are there health risks whenever we reopen? And then I had somebody else come to me and said, Selena, there's also a human cost here. Um, a lot of our staff were struggling with being in lockdowns. A lot of them wanted to be out in some capacity at work. And also we needed to keep the sense of a team. So our HR person was going, if we close, we're going to lose this identity. We're going to lose this sense of a team. Whereas if we can be open in some way, even if it's in many little pods of people, just two or three people working together, that is better for our team. And um yeah, it cost money, but it was the right thing to do because when we did reopen fully, we did have a team who still thought as a team, acted as a team, and uh, and still had been in touch with people in some safe way through the pandemic. So it wasn't so scary when we did reopen. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a real lesson in businesses. You always have to think of the long term and and um, and not just be short sighted and and think of the short term. I think that a lot of businesses got in you know, were worse off when they could reopen because they'd gotten rid of their team just to save costs for a couple of months. But the you know, the difficulties in hiring that, that everybody is having now, a lot of it is through short-sighted decisions and, and maybe not making the human the human decision. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Um and could you maybe describe just a little bit about the the hotel then you mentioned so your mom and dad have, have run it and owned it for 30 years could you maybe describe the type of hotel the, the types of guests that you serve your customer base paint that picture a little bit yes certainly so uh the white horse hotel is based outside of the city center it's about five miles from the city center there's long been some sort of hostility on this site dating back to the 1700s when there would have been an old uh pub on the site and bit by bit the hotel has developed out of that so things have been added over the years prior to my family having any engagement with it it actually was in the 1960s the first drive-through motel in Ireland when that was you know the height of sophistication that you drove in and collected your key and then drove up to your motel room door um, that 
feeling is very much gone. Um, and it has been replaced by a hotel that when my parents bought it was uh, the White Horse Inn and was a three-star establishment. And during their 25 years of looking after it, they drove it up to a four-star establishment by adding uh, a swimming pool, additional bedrooms. It's a 60-bedroom hotel and making sure it had an excellent uh, bar and restaurant and function room. And then when I joined five years ago um, uh, to, to start taking over the business, my vision for it was that um, that people have changed how they feel about hotels. And we have advantages being out of the city and we have disadvantages and we have to recognise them and play to our strengths. So the disadvantage is you can't walk out the door and be at the beautiful historic walls and dairy. You have to get the bus or a taxi. Um but the advantage is a real business advantage. When people stay with us, they often choose to eat with us and drink with us and spend money in the building. And seeing that, um, my real focus was on thinking about us as a destination um, and not just somewhere that you stop to visit a destination. We had to become a destination in our own right. And this is an ongoing work in progress. Um, to do that, we need to offer things to do while you're in the building. So that has uh, led us to add on things like outdoor hot tubs, massage suites, relaxation area, so that people can, can spend that relaxed time in the building. It's led us to refurbish our bar and restaurant um, to be um, very much airy, open, modern um, in the restaurant end, serving really great food, but also to make the bar area feel a bit more um, casual and relaxed so that it can also appeal to, to locals who live nearby so they can treat it like they're local. It is somewhere you can come for a drink on a Friday night rather than feeling like a hotel bar that is for only for tourists. Um, so that has been the ongoing work in progress. It's been about adding more suites, like looking at trends. We could see that people are willing to spend more money for a better experience. And that better experience is often based on what the photographs look like. That is a, a, a truth of, of the world we're in, that people are looking for their Instagram moment, their TikTok story. Um, so we've added suites that, that sort of play into that. So they give you those options. We put a you know, 4.3 metre blossom tree into the middle of the restaurant because it's just so perfect for getting that photo moment. And uh, that is part of the, the attraction. Yeah, I saw I saw the image of your uh, your restaurant. It looks incredible. So um, yeah, I, I completely agree on that. Just going back to the issue with family. So now it very much sounds like you've you know you've you've earned the respect of the team, and you're you know obviously figured out the relation the working relationship with your with your parents, and you're now able to put your I guess your mark on the business. Um, and probably I still imagine still staying true to the values that your mom and dad put in place in the beginning. Um, would you a lot of a lot of independent optometrists and practice owners can end up working with family that may be their wife, that may be their son, it may be their brother. You know, it's just the the small business. Um, a lot of a lot of people are in that position. Is there any 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 kind of tips or lessons that? that you've used or that have helped you navigate those waters because I think you know you could easily assume that maybe for the staff the staff of the team that have been there 30 years and now Selena shows up that you're just you're just the daughter like you know how do you how did you how did you deal with all that so I felt like I needed to earn respect from the ground up like I had to be there at all the different hours of the day I had to sh to go to them and I had to learn from them but in a very respectful way so uh you know week one coming into the building I was like right 
here, I can do the sales and marketing. Like, this is no problem. I do not need to spend that much time with the sales and marketing team. But I don't know operationally how to operate booking systems at a hotel reception. Um, so I was like, okay, head receptionist, I'm going to work with you for a week. By the end of the week, I don't need to be able to do your job. You do that, but I need to be able to cover you if you go on a break. I need to understand what you have to do so that I can understand if you have a problem and, and get to grips with that problem to help you solve it. And that wasn't just reception. That was everything. That was housekeeping. That was being the one who would go and, you know, mop the toilets at midnight if that was what was required um, and just not be afraid to get stuck in and not be afraid to ask questions. I needed to learn from everyone in the building, you know, from maintenance, from dishwashing, from everyone. So I think for the first year, I spent a lot of time actually on the ground doing jobs with people so that I could understand them and making it clear that I wanted to know what their problems were because then together we could try and overcome them, um, which was very different than to what my father did because he worked his way up in the hotel industry. So he had done all this as he was working up. I was coming in towards the top, having to to get to grips with all the processes that came to form, form the business. Um, and then through building that respect bit by bit, I have been able to, to sort of move into a slightly more strategic role thinking about where the business goes but I needed that learning I needed that grounding to do it um it wasn't always easy the hours have been very long but uh it was worth it to get to the point where where I can really engage with the staff and understand their problems and now a word from our sponsor hi Connor Heaney here in 2017 after feeling frustrated and underappreciated by our previous lens supplier my practice started working with Seiko as our primary lens company and we haven't looked back the Seiko team are a joy to work with. They are extremely helpful and flexible to our needs, which means we can provide far better service to our clients at Jones & Co Styling Opticians. Our patients are delighted with the quality of vision they get from their Seiko lenses, and for over four years now, it's been an excellent and profitable partnership with Seiko for my practice. I can't recommend them highly enough. To receive a Seiko information pack, including a special lens offer for podcast listeners, send an email to info UK at SeikoVision.com with the subject podcast. Find out how Seiko can help your practice the same way they help mine. Send an email to info UK at SeikoVision.com with the subject podcast. Yeah, and I think respect is the key word. Uh, I, read a, I read a quote recently. Uh, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was saying about... Uh, you know, there's a difference between being a leader where you're just using your authority and people are following you because they feel they have to versus um, if, if people are following you because of not who you are, but because of what you stand for and the values you represent, then they they subscribe to those same values. And that, I think, is what builds a, a much healthier, much more passionate um, effective team. So I know, I know as a hotel uh, that you guys pride yourselves on customer service and going the extra mile and you've won awards, um, for your service and for the, the restaurant as well. I obviously, well, not obviously, but our parents are great friends, uh, your mom and my dad and my mom and dad. Um, so from you, from knowing your father, he is, he's probably one of the most hospitable, welcoming, kind, caring people I've ever met. And I think you come across as, you know, having a great interest in people, being extremely affable and, uh, you know, just a great friendliness. How do you, how do you take, you know, personal attributes like that and then turn that into a culture of some sort where that becomes a service standard and bring that out in the staff 
Have you been able to do that? It's actually, that's a real challenge because one of the things that's hard to do in a business that operates 24 hours a day is to take that time out to do the things that build the team culture, you know, those uh, staff outings and those training days, etc. So that is an ongoing challenge. So I think a lot of it is uh, has to be purely by example. It is by being there, by saying to the new person coming into the restaurant, right, shadow me, this is what we do. And uh, forget that I'm the managing director or whatever. My job is still to make the customer happy and I am more than happy to get them a coffee, a pint, whatever it is. This is not about hierarchy or not my job. The job is to make the customer happy. No happy customer, no business. Like It's that simple. That's what we do. Um, and also we try and talk about um, what the business does in terms of how it solves problems for people. Um, and they're simple problems. Like it can uh, solve the problem. You're hungry. You want something to eat. You don't want to cook. It's simple. Come into the restaurant. But the things that really make us a part of the fabric of the local economy is maybe looking at those uh, other bigger occasions. You know, we're there for people whenever they, uh, they they come and they might get married with us. And then, you know, we get to celebrate the other milestones in their lives. Sometimes it's the arrival of children. Sometimes it's First Communion. Sometimes it's uh, an anniversary party, a birthday party. And it's taking away their stress in those situations those things to organise are, are stressful to organise and really fun to attend. So it is taking away all the hassle and delivering that great experience. And I think by the team seeing how we do that and sharing, you know, the positive feedback that we get when we do it well inspires people to go further and further. Yeah, I love that you said that. So it kind of brings a sense of purpose to their work. So it's not just a job. You can actually, you know, be a part of this person's one of the most important days of their lives and you can be the the difference that kind of makes a difference for them. So. Absolutely. And then you get to see people who come back again and again. That's one of the other joys, I guess, about being in Derry. You know, there's a mixture of regular customers and people who come in every now and again and there'll be new customers as well. And uh, getting to know people, you know, I think anybody who works in hospitality has to like people. So uh, that, that sense of recognising people when they come back or people who have maybe asked about you if you've been off and they've said oh where's Ellen today and because you know, they, they care about the, the staff as well because the staff have looked after them so well. Definitely um, and you, I guess you talked a little bit about differentiation a moment ago um, when you you know you talked about the strengths of your hotel versus hotels in the city um, but on the subject of differentiation it, one of the things I try to teach our members and the you know, the practices that we consult with and coach with is, is about injecting personality into their business and not being a faceless organization where we're corporate and bland, you know, not to be afraid to put some of, some of yourself into your business. Um, is that something, and well, to give an example, I encourage our members, we send out newsletters to our clients where, you know, it's it's what you just said. It's about relationships. I'll write about my family, where we're going on holidays. I'll write about the city. Um, you know, it's conversational, and that kind of makes a real connection with our with our clients. Uh, same thing. We want to be on a first name terms with them when they come in. We have that repeat relationship with with uh, with clients and patients obviously coming over the years. So, so I think that's a big differentiator for independent businesses. Do you do you feel that's the best approach? to marketing a, 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 an independent business is, is that kind of have you done that with with your hotel yeah 100 at the end of the day one of the things that any small independent business is having to do is compete with uh, those large chains 
that people know that they have big marketing budgets behind them and people have an expectation of what they're going to get? Um, and how do you then become um, a successful alternative uh, to that big brand name? Um, and I think some of the ways you can do that is, yes, I can see the, that some people like the appeal of knowing exactly what they're going to get. But whenever they're coming into something that's about a hospitality situation, I think if we can provide an authentic experience that is representative of where the person is, then we can be doing something better than you're going to get at an anonymous chain hotel. And that can come down to uh, things like the use of local ingredients. You can come into the bar that you can order a gin that is distilled in dairy. You can drink a pint that is brewed at a brewery less than two miles away that you can eat food that you know has not come just from Northern Ireland, but with ingredients that have come from within, you know, 30 miles of the Guildhall. We always keep at least five ingredients from within 30 miles of the Guildhall on our menu. So if you come and have barbecue ribs here, you know the barbecue sauce is made by a Philadelphian lady who lives in Derry, who does a really authentic barbecue sauce, and you're supporting more local business that it is that sort of circular economy. So if somebody comes here, they're getting a sense of the space. Um, and also, because we aren't a big chain, we don't have to fulfil certain guidelines, the things that do make everything the same. So we can add more personality. And that personality can be in all sorts of different ways. It can be in decor of bedrooms you know we're not tied to having to do a certain thing we can add on a new suite we can put in a double jacuzzi bath in the middle of the room we can decorate it in silver we can go uh, and, and create things that are a different experience and use those for marketing as well um, and then yes there's the personal touch and the personal touch is probably the most important one of the things that we um, do is we have like a loyalty member to a regular um, customers in our restaurant and uh, we'll give them special offers from time to time they collect loyalty points it's a very straightforward system but we also send out a handwritten birthday card um, to every one of those customers on to will arrive on the week of their birthday and it's really straightforward it's really simple it's like you know and the photo pictures are from the white horse but it keeps in contact and it's handwritten and it's hand addressed you know we don't no label printing we're just trying to show that we are a small business of real people um because people can forget that, that at the end of the day, behind the business, it's real people and it's generally people who really care. And I think all reminders of that, all personal touches also help the customer respect the people behind the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I was smiling there because my wife, Catherine, it was her birthday last week and, and we were in the car driving along and she said, oh, two really pissed me off. So oh, she has a, her phones with O2. She says, every year they send me a, my bill on my birthday, they just, I get a text and she thinks, oh, it's going to be a happy birthday text. And it's not, it's just her bill. So, um, so yeah, big companies, there's a lot of things that they cannot do as well as, as a small yeah. company with the personal touch that can do that. So, and you can have fun Absolutely. with it. You can have fun with it. And it's, uh, we've done all sorts of different things. Like uh, when we had our 25th anniversary as a business, five years ago now, we um, sent all of our loyalty members, uh, like we got a, a version of a scratch card made up and every person had one posted to them, uh, had address envelope and every one of these scratch cards, you want something at the hotel. It could have been a free dessert with your meal right up to, you know, an overnight stay in the presidential suite or you could have won cocktails or massage, but everyone something might've been little, might've been big, but it was just a, it was a bit of fun and people were getting something physical because um, in a digital world, it's very easy to move everything to online. And yes, we do have emails and that side of things, but sometimes for those really loyal customers, you know, having that 
through the post sort of touch works really effectively I think especially whenever it doesn't just feel like a marketing well it is marketing it feels like somebody's getting something rather than just a a flyer you know it's not it's not about getting your Domino's pizza reminder it's about getting something that is tangible and of value to you yeah yeah so well last but not least but let's talk about becoming a a person of influence in in the community um so I, I know last year you were chair of the legendary Food Network, uh, which promotes dairy as a, as a foodie destination. Uh, you sit on the Hospitality and Tourism Skills Attract Committee. Uh, you're a director of Les Foyers des Artistes as a commitment to developing tourism in Northern Ireland. You're the vice president of the London Dairy Chamber of Commerce, um, and I believe you'll be the president next year. So, you know, you're, you are a person of influence in the community. Just in terms of how you've gone about building that reputation and um, becoming a person of renown locally, how how did you set about doing that? I love the idea that there was a strategy behind this, but uh, to be honest, I arrived back in uh, in Derry, and yes, it's my hometown. I grew up here, but like uh, like you did, Connor. So many of my friends went away and maybe have uh, have settled in other parts of the world. So I'm arriving back to a city where I. I don't have an instant friendship network. Um, my husband certainly doesn't come in from Yorkshire. And so we needed to get involved to, to get to know people. And how better than to start meeting like-minded people than to start uh, trying to input into things that, that meet your interests. So it was uh, a bit of a, 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 a some of the things have almost, they, they, they snowball, don't they? So mm. when I arrived back, I joined an organization uh, called JCI, Junior Chamber International, which is for business people up to the age of 40. Um, it is an international uh, organization, but it has chapters in, in a lot of major cities and even smaller cities like Derry. Um, and it was a way of meeting like-minded people because that's not just about business. It's also got a social aspect. It's also got a community aspect. And I sort of got to to meet a group of people that way. Um, and so between the connections I made through that and the connections I made through running in a hotel, I got involved in legendary food. I'm, I hope it comes across. I'm really passionate about local food. The food in Derry in the past, uh, well, 20 years since I, I left at 18 to go to university till I came back has just evolved entirely. There is phenomenal local ingredients, incredible local restaurants, everything from your Michelin recommended to incredible street food and all the variety in between. So it just became obvious to me to try and get involved in anything that promotes that food. And bit by bit, I just uh, got involved in more and more. Um, And uh, I'm just passionate about the city. Like I'm so delighted to be back in Derry. Uh, when I left at 18, I don't think I ever considered about coming back. You know, I couldn't wait to get to London and um, I was excited about about moving away. And then it was only being away that I realised, you know, what was I missing out on? And now I'm back, I want to be able to show that to other people and just help elevate a city that I feel is on the cusp of absolute greatness. Yeah, well, it's clear that you're really passionate about it. And do you, because obviously you're, I imagine you're extremely busy running the business as well, um any advice you would give to our listeners about doing that stuff and making the effort to get involved in your local community how do you think about that in terms of return on investment for your for your time so it's interesting so I think some things you have to do just because you really care about them because there's not necessarily going to be a huge return on 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 money but there is a return on reputation and that does make a difference to people wanting to spend with you um 
But uh, some things, there's a very odd, obvious return. So getting involved with something, Legendary Food, that's a group of 70 local food drink um, businesses and suppliers who all want to support the local economy and use local ingredients. By getting involved in that, that helped me um, get to know all the other people in my industry really quickly. And some of those people will become my suppliers. Some of those people will buy from me. And some of those people just become my advocates because they go, actually, you know, there's another business. So say somebody's staying in the Bishopsgate Hotel in town, they're a member of Legendary Food. They use great local ingredients. Somebody's staying with them for a few nights and they want a recommendation for another night, they might send them to me. You know, same way I'll send people to other members of the Food Network. Um and then you've got the things that are just a, a lot less tangible, like uh, getting involved with the local Chamber of Commerce. It's not that I am going to, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is not an organisation. It's a members organisation for the members. It's not going to be spending money, you know, with me, but it's helping me raise my profile locally. So it's getting um, my name and my business name out there. And we just know that people need to, to hear that name whenever they're in a place with competition. So you're always in people's minds. Um, in terms of how to divide out the time I have got to the point where my day is laid out in half hour slots and uh, I try and uh, to put the, the to-do list into those slots um, allowing breaks in between because otherwise it is yeah it would become very difficult and sometimes I have to be very strict you know Le Foyer des Artistes is about um, bringing uh, really high quality classical music to Derry um, and I you know commit a couple of days a, a week to that and I try and keep a running track um to go, you know, guys, if, we, if we're getting to the point where I'm, I'm running out of time here, let's prioritise this, or do we need another board member? And just being honest about what you can achieve. Very good. Well, um, thank you again for taking the time to do this, and I know how, how busy you are. So to, just to wrap it up, Selena, what are you most excited about in your, in your work at the moment? What's, uh, what's exciting in the, about the future for you? So... It's a strange one, but in some ways the uncertainty is what keeps the lifeblood of a business flowing. You know, there's definitely no boredom at the minute. We've come through COVID and we're going into a time when uh, we're going to have to keep reinvigorating business. We know about rising costs are affecting everybody. Um, so we've got to work out how can we still provide something that is affordable to our customer and of value to our customer at the same time. So that is challenging, but it is exciting. It's a it's a real a real challenge, um, and I guess the one of the big things that is exciting to me at the minute is how much investment is coming into our local area. Uh, so Derry has been awarded a two hundred and fifty million pound city deal, which is support from government and our universities to really put a lot of money into infrastructure. It's going to include things like building a maritime museum in the area, which really elevates us as a tourist destination. So I'm excited to be part of a place that is really burgeoning in its success and hopeful that I can continue to, to help influence that in a forward-facing uh, manner. Very good. Well, I have no doubt that, that you will. Is, is there anywhere that you would send our listeners to uh, check out your hotel or any, any other sites uh, where they should consider looking at if they're thinking about dairy as a destination? Well, Visit Dairy website is going to be the place that will have all the information about everything from our 401-year-old walls to uh, to the many other destinations in sight. Um, and then Discover NI would have details about the surrounding area as well, because there's a lot to see outside of the city as well. Fabulous beaches, fabulous walks, beautiful outdoors. Very good. And the, what's the website for the White Horse? 
It is www.whitehorsehotel.biz, which is B-I-Z, because Whitehorse Hotel, whoever got in there first with .com was very on the ball with the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very good well all this all this talk of home is going to be making me homesick but uh thank you very much selena it's been a lot of fun and i really appreciate you being our guest today thank you so much connor whenever you're home i hope you come and see us perfect i will do you've been listening to another episode of the optical entrepreneur if you've enjoyed today's program please share us with a friend visit the where you can get additional free resources to help you and your team build a better business. If you're serious about taking your practice to the next level, consider signing up for Optical Success Academy membership and the Look Over My Shoulder marketing program, which you can find out more about at theopticalentrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. Make it a great month and I'll see you right here next time on The Optical Entrepreneur.